12.40 a.m. WGBB Radio. Welcome to Good Times, Bad Times. I am your host, Joey Petroni. Tonight, we have a very, very special guest. When you think about Long Island Entertainment, you can only think about one person. Ladies and gentlemen. John Blen, I, uh, I read your, a lot of stuff off the internet with, about John. I knew a lot of stuff about John Blen. And for me, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here tonight, and I really appreciate you being here. That's very kind of you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, yeah, so you have been in the entertainment field since the, what, 80s, 70s? Yeah, it's actually uh, 45 years at this <laughs> point, if I count my, my freshman year at NASA Community College, which okay. is when I first started doing uh, both journalism and also uh, budding DJ on the radio station over at NASA Community College. So you worked at NASA Community College as a DJ? That was the first place I was, and then I continued my career at, uh, at Hofstra for the second half of my uh, Okay. My collegiate ride and same thing, majored in communications, was a, uh, a DJ for several years at Hofstra and also wrote for their school papers. Right. So reading all about your, your bio and everything like that, you are everything that, you know, I, I would love to be one of those things. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> I'd well, pick any of them. I, I can tell you a lot it's of that like, ride comes with being underpaid, but it's absolutely an enjoyable ride. It's an amazing ride. Now, you know what? I Not that money is not important, but I would money wouldn't matter to me much if I was to take that ride. That's awesome. You know, you couldn't pay me enough to, to, to do half the things you did. So, you know, so far, and you're still, you're still rolling. Well, I have an older brother who's like 10 years older than I am, and, and he was the major uh, catalyst in terms of getting me interested in the arts. Okay. When I was eight years of age, we'd have show and tell in our classrooms, and the kids would bring in the Beach Boys or Simon and Garfunkel records right. or the Beatle records, and I would bring in things like Krabby Appleton or Fat Mattress, and my teacher <laughs> would look at me and go, where are you getting this stuff? <laughs> right. I got a brother who's 10 years older than I am, <laughs> and, he was and I'm set- listening to Frank Zappa at this point. <laughs> right. So. so he was setting you up. So he... <laughs> Yeah, when he moved out to California when I was 11, he left about half of his collection behind. So okay. that immediately started me collecting records as well and you know, it immediately snowballed from there. But that was the initial point of contact was my mom made sure that every Thursday night uh, as a teenager, he'd come home from work and spend that one night with me no matter what. Okay. And that was always like new music night. He'd buy his records on Thursday afternoons and bring them home and... That- that's we awesome. listened to them together at that's that awesome. point. That's awesome, yeah. So that's so, a big inspiration for you there, right? Started my, uh, my interest in the arts, you bet. That's awesome. So, um, so then, so that's back in elementary school? Yeah, back in elementary school. Okay. And uh, by the time I got to uh, the point where I was going to go to college, I had made up my mind that the only thing I really wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be a radio DJ. Music. And not along the lines of like Howard Stern or, you know, a lot of the shock jocks that were, that were on the air, but right. rather I wanted to be like Scott Muni where you learned about the music and you turned people on to stuff and you played new things. So that was exactly what I went to school for. And ironically, all these years later, the only thing I haven't drawn a paycheck as is being an actual on-air DJ. Right, I saw that. Right, you did everything but as Basically far as making, everything else but yeah. So that's that's cool. But it brought you into all these other all these other uh, areas, right? Without a doubt, yeah. I, I when I first got out of school, I, I went out to the Midwest to uh, to hit every place I could possibly find okay. uh, to get a radio job. Because the first thing they tell you is is that go. You want to work in New York? Get hired someplace else. 
and then come back, you know, okay. as as the arriving hero, so to speak. Okay. So I went out to the Midwest. I mean, I dropped tapes at like three, four hundred stations. I mean, any place I could find from Columbia, Missouri to like the smallest towns out in Nebraska. And nobody called me for a year. Okay. And I came back here and I had been writing for Good Times Magazine right. at the end of my collegiate career as a freelancer. And uh, at that point had broken through a little bit. But when I came back... I took a job as a salesperson with them, and within a month, the editor who had been there left, and that made me heir apparent to the editor's job. Oh, nice. So I became the editor at Good Times, and the boss there basically let me run 99% of the time with cover what you want to cover, or just make sure we get names that people will recognize and go after You know, whatever you're able to bring in for the paper that people want to pick up and read. And at that point, a few months afterwards, I'm getting phone calls a year later from Springfield, Missouri with, you want to be the overnight guy? Or, oh. Hey, we'd like you to do the weekend drive, you right. know? And at that point, I had become a journalist, Was uh, realized that that was a better gig by far, so I no longer had that interest. It's kind of like, I, somebody asked me about it last week, and I said, it's kind of like picturing yourself as being in a bumper ball game where a little thing hits you and changes your direction subtly. Right. Because I didn't initially get those radio jobs in that pinball situation, I pinballed off to being a journalist and writing, which still allowed me to turn people on to new music, which still allowed me to go to shows and learn about things. But the beauty of being a journalist, and especially with Good Times, was it gave me an opportunity to cover things besides just music. Right. I could do comedy. I could cover theater. I could interview actors. I could do film. So it gave me a much greater variety of places that I could get involved with. And they also don't tell you in radio when you're in college much about program directors. Okay. You have a program director when you're at college that says, hey, would you stop playing that damn record off the fourth shelf in there? It doesn't right. fit the format. Oh, okay. But when you get to a pro radio station, it's... Here's the 38 songs we're playing today, and between 404 and 408, you can pick one song out of these four albums here to play. So you can use your. So own. you don't get as much creative input or ability to right. bring things to people's right. attention, right. which was the whole bottom line of me wanting to do it in the first place was to bring things to, to people's, people's attention. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that, yeah. To discover somebody. Yeah. So you can become a program director, obviously, but that's not what you do with your first job. You go through several jobs and hope that you land. In in a place where you can move yourself into a position like that. Right. So, so did location have anything to do with you uh, besides besides you fell into Good Times Magazine? I mean, you you could have been out in Missouri, you said, right? Yeah, I, I, I always fell in love with St. Louis, and it's it's funny. I, I probably would have moved there if I didn't get so uh, deeply involved with the the music and entertainment scene here in New York. Which, ironically, most people come here because right. they want to. I right. grew up here in, right. you know, in East Meadow, so. Uh, to me, I, I always remembered Bob Costa saying that he moved to St. Louis and he was a Comac boy from Long Island. Right. And I saw him on a show one night, and I thought, why would he go there? And he said, well, as a sports announcer, my work is going to be in New York, Chicago, or California. So it's no longer than a two-and-a-half plane ride, two-and-a-half-hour plane ride in any direction to right. do my job. That's brilliant. You can live in suburbia and still work in the big cities and do that. Right. But of course, you gotta get to a fairly high level to be that guy flying around the country doing it. Right. But the thing I liked about St. Louis, and my brother spent a lot of time out there, was it was very much like Long Island when I was growing up. Their suburbs looked like our suburbs okay. 20 years so, earlier. Okay. So it had a certain amount of nostalgic connection, but as it worked out, much better off being here. I, I gotta tell you, I mean, 
I've seen you for years around all over the place. You know, you're everywhere, right? And you can admit that. You, you never sit still, probably. But um, So you are like Mr. Long Island in, in a lot of ways. You know, you look at Bobby Nystrom, Mr. Long Island, but in, in the field of entertainment, you are, I would consider, one of the top Mr. Long Islands that I could, you know, out there. Well, that's kind of you to say, too. I mean, I, yeah, I was uh, a typical road rat where I was out on the road seven nights a week. And, I mean, I didn't get married until I was 33 Okay. Uh, when I met my wife, Joni. And it's actually going to be 30 years at this point this wow. summer. Um, she was very much like I was. You know, we didn't have kids. So she was a graphic artist and, and actually still is. But she would take pictures. So she right. was always up for, hey, do you want to go to this? And she didn't care whether I was dragging her off to a heavy metal show or <laughs> professional wrestling right. or, you know, she was always up for the adventure with that, which yeah. I knew, you know, very short order, this is the right person to spend right. the rest you, of my life with. Exactly. But she allowed me to do a lot of that moving around too. Before that, as a bachelor, you can come and go as you want to. Right. And it wasn't uncommon for me to go out, cover a show at 7 o'clock in Suffolk County, a show at 9.30 in New York, and then or in Nassau County, right. and then be in Manhattan at midnight to catch a late show somewhere because you were able to, A, drive around much quicker than you can now, right. but, two, you also have that energy and that youthful desire to do it. I'm, I'm not that guy anymore, well, but I still keep as brisk a pace as I can. Yeah, I mean, you know, through Facebook, I could see that, you, you know, you take the best pictures. I guess your wife has the camera, too. Yeah, it's actually both of us. Both. So, yeah, the, the, the majority of the stuff is her most of the time, and the further you go back, the more likely it was her, and quite obviously anything I'm in, I didn't right. shoot. Right, I mean, you got some great candid shots of comedians and musicians all the time, and it's, like, very interesting you know, whenever you post something, you, you never post anything. It's always something that you want to look at, you know, like at 30 pictures of, like, I guess the whole month or two weeks worth of entertainment. Well, that's nice of you to say as well. I mean, the my feelings is for, in terms of posting things on, on social media is simply a lot of people will dump 200 pictures out at once. I won't. Right. You know, I'll put out like maybe 20 on any given night and, you know, eight of local artists, eight of national touring artists, maybe four or eight of, of local musicians mm -hmm. or or comedians, or sporting events, or, or some theater piece I might have been at, uh, because a it's more interesting when you're not getting overloaded with one thing. People come into my page just about every night to see if yeah. their picture from somewhere yeah. on the line yeah. popped up yeah. there. Yeah. And I just think it's a it's a good way to keep people's uh, attention on the arts out here, and that the people that are working around our community all the time and. Um, it was, it's funny because, as you mentioned about posting pictures, when I first got on Facebook like 13, 14 years ago, uh, I put up a lot of stuff pretty quickly, and I got a phone call from Dennis Regan, the stand-up comedian, Brian's right. brother, yeah. and he said, are you dying? It's like, mm, do you know something I don't? Right. It's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? He goes, you put up like 100 <laughs> pictures of comedians, <laughs> right. and none of them are you. Right. And I said, well, I put up about... 12 or 16 of them and I started getting text messages and emails from people going oh my god do you have a photo of me I don't have any shots of me from the 80s or I moved 12 times I don't even have a black and white of my band anymore do right. you and I had all that stuff from being a variety of papers with good times the island Ear, and then my wife and I had Long Island Entertainment together for six years as well. Right. So, yeah, we still had a lot of files of stuff. I said, let me see what I got. And you start digging and start pulling it out. And I realized, you know, in those days, you didn't have your cell phone in your pocket. No, you didn't have a million pictures. But I went almost everywhere with a 110 in my pocket, no matter what. 
and you pulled that little thing out, and you got a couple of semi-blurry shots, but it caught that moment in time, and there's no way to go back and do those things over. So, no, you could take those photos and scan them and and fix them up too, and make them look nicer. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting. And then I was going to go back in in your history, but also, I think not every night, maybe every night, you put up a picture and say, "Who do we have here?" Right. That's awesome. You know, and sometimes you see right away with the eyes, like you know, it's John Travolta or whoever. Um, but that's a great guessing game, you know? Yeah, it's a fun thing. I, I initially started out with posting a couple of pictures uh, about five or six years ago of uh, Meanwhile back in high school. Right. And I just put it up so that people look at it and go, oh, that's a great shot of, as you said, Travolta, yeah. or hey, look at Ann Margaret when she was 20, you know, right. when she was 18. High school and yearbook. Then people immediately started guessing who it was, like putting the names up underneath yeah. it. Is it this? Is yeah, it yeah. that? And I quickly realized that. People really love that stuff. I and mean, everybody yeah. goes back to yeah. look at their high school photos. Yep. And, Gee, I wonder what Tom looked like, you know, yeah. 35 years ago. Now that I'm standing at a reunion with him. Or, right. hey, I forget what Sally used to look like. Right. And now people will come every night to take a look at it and see if it's something that they I, can recognize I, I, or not. I, I am one of those people. I look every <laughs> night. Do you? Every night. I'm one of those people. Yeah. So it's called look, look, Looky Who We Have Here or something like that? Well, I also put uh, Who Do We Have Here because at some point you get to, it gets harder and harder and harder. I've tried not to in five years to run the same graduation picture twice. Right. So then eventually you get to a point where there's a lot of people there aren't graduation pictures, but there's a lot of shots on them. You're like, gee, let me see if anybody knows who this is or who that is. It's, different. And it's funny, a couple of days ago I put up a picture of an actress named... Uh, uh, Janina Gavincar. Okay. And she's uh, currently a regular on Big Sky, which is one of the bigger hits over the last couple of years on network TV. Nice. On ABC. Right. And I was surprised a couple of people immediately guessed who she was. And then people were sending me private messages with, oh my God, <laughs> wasn't she great on True Blood? I'm like, wow, I didn't watch True Blood. Is that where she's from? And right. I go back and sure enough, she's on True Blood for like five or six years. So when I post stuff, it's like from a point of reference of where they've hit my radar conscious-wise. Right. But there's so many other places other people knew them from that I didn't. So in a lot of ways, I learn as much about who these people are by posting it you as people it. do by looking at it and then researching who it is. Right. So. I have one with me. Sure. Do you mind? Sure. All right. Let's see if John... I just bought one. Well, it's actually two pictures, same person. <laughs> let's see if John Blend can tell who this, who this is. Um, that looks like Goomba Johnny. Now I got Goomba Johnny st- stuck in my head, but it's not. He's a stand-up comic, obviously. Um, Goomba Johnny's good. I like that. I like what yeah. Yep, that's that's good. Who, who do you got? All right, I'll give you a hint. Okay. It's it's probably the biggest hint I can give you. Are you ready? Yep. The person. Oh, oh, oh. is he on uh, Network News? No. Okay. For a second, I thought it was Tucker Carlson. No. He's got some Tucker Carlson in his face too. Believe okay. it. Believe <laughs> it or not. <laughs> Believe it or not, that person's in this room. That's you. That's me. That, wow. 1998. Amazing. <laughs> that's when I first got my puppet, Roger. Yep. Yep, that's... Uh, I did not know that you were a ventriloquist. That you, well, I, I am a ventriloquist wannabe. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, if you went to the trouble of actually getting a dummy, you yeah. have some skills, that, or you wouldn't have made the, the expenditure. Right. I, uh, I, I basically... Um, <laughs> Like, that's when I first started doing stand-up, like, for real. You yeah. know, before that, um, I, d- I actually did a show that you were there, and I mentioned it to you once before, in 1993, mm-hmm. I think it was, at the Smithtown Sheridan. Mm-hmm. I think you were there with Good Times Magazine at the time, right? I'm I would have sure. been with Good Times in 93, yes. Right, so you were at the show, because your name's on the, the uh, flyer, which I found. 
Um, and I was a comedian in between bands. Mm -hmm. And so back in 90, from 90 to 93, 94, I was doing comedy in between bands anywhere. I would just do it just for stage time, anywhere. Okay. And I, tr I couldn't be a singer. I, I had bad timing. Mm -hmm. So because my timing was so bad, I always liked being on stage and being a ham. I do, I do stand up. But you were at the, you were at the show. It was uh, a fundraiser for the sound man. His last name, I think it was Schneider. He was another color sound man. His van was broken into, and they stole his equipment, and we did a fundraiser to... It was Dark White on that bill, too? I'm trying to think uh, of... I think that was one of the groups that, that played I that day, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. I can, actually, I'll find the... Uh, I, think, I think so. I think Zebra uh, was there. I think uh, Randy, Randy Jackson, Jackson was there. Too? Yeah, I just saw Randy last week, actually. Right. Still going strong. So the embarrassing thing for me that night was, you know, I had comedy all written and stuff like that. I want to... Uh, long story short, I followed somebody who juggled fire. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how funny you are if the guy before you is juggling fire and you come out nobody's paying attention to you you know well you know don't feel bad on that <laughs> number one uh, i was at a, a fundraiser that they had at uh, uh east side comedy and bob nelson went up followed by jackie martling okay followed by a very new comedian named adam ferrara okay and Richie Minervini was in the back of the room laughing with a couple of people going, right. it's gonna make him a better comedian eh, don't worry about him he'll be, he'll be all right and Adam went up there like he owned the place, completely confident and absolutely him. shined. But yeah. that's kind of a dirty trick to do somebody <laughs> brand new. Yeah. With, uh, let's say Nelson, <laughs> then Martling, and then you. Right, right. You know, and he went up there. And at that point, you look at a guy like him and go, he's going to make it. Good. There's no question about it. You knew it, it right? If you get nervous and you don't do well, that doesn't tell you anything either. Because almost you know, every stand-up will tell you somewhere right. along the line. Right. They bombed somewhere. And if right. they didn't tell you that, they're probably still bombing, right. and they're not admitting the truth. I've spent a lot of time bombing, and you know, and I got so immune to bombing that it didn't it didn't matter as much anymore as I got older. Mm -hmm. And that's when you, for me, that's when I started to get better because I wasn't so worried about what people were thinking. You can't worry about what people no. are thinking. And and I'll also say too, it's funny. I was in this building uh, one Memorial Day many years ago here at Governor's, and uh, Dan Wilson and Eddie Brill went out to do a late show. Right. There were twelve people in the audience. It was a Memorial Day weekend. Right. It's a late show on a uh, on a uh, Friday night, as it was. And of course, I used to go in and do most of my reviewing on late shows on Friday when they used to be an eleven or eleven thirty show at all these clubs. And the comedians would look at me and go, "You sob, what are you doing here now? Why didn't you come tomorrow at like eight? Right. Because tomorrow at eight o'clock, you can go out there and sneeze on yourself, and they're going to laugh their heads off because Saturday night eight o'clock audiences are happy." They've been relaxed all day. They're having some casual cocktails, right. and they're more than predisposed to laugh. Right. Late show on Friday, you've got to go to work and show people what you're made of. And Eddie Brill and Dan Wilson that night put on one of the best performances I ever saw either one of them do. And, of course, they're both top-flight headlining comedians right. yeah. that have played all over the country. But you couldn't tell if you were in Madison Square Garden in front of 20,000 people or you were in a room with 10 other people right. because they went and approached it like that and performed as pros and did a great job and everybody who walked out of that room got their money's worth 10 times over by that type of an effort yeah and then you see other guys that go out there some nights and they just they sit down on the stool they suck the drink they just kind of look around 25 times like ah, so uh, what else that's not doing your job yeah well yeah. It I'm I'm a I'm a DJ too on the weekends and like what you just described I do a lot of parties and most of them they're all pretty good. Sometimes you go to a party nobody wants to dance but yeah, you, you find, get them. but you but you will find that one couple that will dance and you find out what kind of music they like and you're being paid to be there 
Nobody, and, and I just keep them on the floor as long as, as long as I, you know, and that's, you know, or the one kid who was going to dance, to do the chicken dance, the limbo, and, but I'm being paid to be there, and I'm going to entertain, easily you can sit back and say, hey, they're dancing, screw them, but you're going to find that one person, and I think in comedy, too, you're going to find that one person who's going to enjoy and laugh, you know, that wants to be there, you know, on a bad night. Most nights, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I, I would always say to the people that, that were somewhat concerned about me being there, it's like, I didn't come to hear an audience laugh. I came to hear your material. Right. I came to hear your timing and what you do. Right. And you're going to really find out what somebody's timing is because they're not sitting around waiting to surf a laugh break. They're just executing their act the way they're supposed to, and they're a polished enough professional that you're not giving me what I want. I'm just going to move on and keep the timing up and the energy up until right. I finish my show no matter what. And I used to see some remarkable shows on, on Friday nights from people that – they really wanted to do the job, and the audience didn't make any difference. Right. I was uh, standing behind you, not, not to be a stalker, but I was standing behind you at the brokerage, and you were laughing. At, you were laughing. I mean, you're a good audience member. I mean, I'm sure you know that. Yeah. You were hysterical laughing at, uh, I think it was Chris Roach up there, but, you know, all the comics that night. I'm like, this, this guy, I want, I want you in the front row of my show, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, even better than me, everybody is thrilled to see my wife because my wife is like very quick to laugh and right. has an infectious laugh. And whenever I've done plays and she's out there videotaping because she doesn't usually go on stage, she'll laugh at something and break the ice with an audience that's a little tight. They'll hear her laugh and then they'll start laughing. She's the greatest secret weapon that anybody ever had as an audience member. Right. right. But yeah, I mean, you're gonna, I've seen a lot of critics go out there, especially in comedy too, that you can tell they, they're just, they're tired, they don't want to be doing it, but it's what their job is. And you can't be tired and not want to do your job and be an effective comedy critic. You right. can't do it. Right. And if you are, you're just, you're stealing money and you're doing a great disservice to who you're watching. Right. I, it always fascinated me through the years. And I mean, I've run theaters. I've been on stage a, as talent. I've covered shows as a journalist. It's always fascinated me when people come through a, doors and you look at them, and you, you can just see the unhappiness on them. It's like, what are you doing at a comedy show? Right. Especially on New Year's Eve. A right. lot of people go out on New Year's Eve, and for the first 20 minutes, they're looking at each other like, is this what we were supposed to do tonight? Uh, or were we supposed to stay home? Or were we supposed to be at a rock concert? Or were we Make up your mind. Right. Just go do it and leave yourself open to have fun if because you, you will have fun. And if you commit to doing it, then you do it. You bet. Because just like you said, New Year's Eve, I worked the last maybe 15 years as a DJ with seniors over in Massapequa. Right. And, you know, like you said, you committed to doing it. I mean, it could be boring. You know, my family's doing all different things. I'd rather be home. But when you're there, do it. Absolutely. Make I them mean, smile. Make them happy. I've, I'm general manager over at the, at the Five Towns College Theater. I just got, went, got back there a, a few months ago, and I was their general manager for like seven years at one point, too, around teaching at the school. And we had a huge audience from down the block in a seniors community there. Right. And I'd sometimes bring in comedians on off nights when we didn't have plays up or musical performances from the school. And people would be like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, this audience is like in their late hundreds. They've lived through everything. They've seen everything. Mm -hmm. They're a much better audience than you think they are. Yeah. Give them a few minutes. Yeah, and I agree. To the last, yeah. they were great audiences. And generally, they're, they're, they're very happy. I mean, you bet. Always they want to have fun. Happy and to see you're, you. You're going to crack some jokes, yeah. and nothing's too risque or bawdy no. for them because you've been on the planet for 90 years. <laughs> What's somebody going to say to you that's right. going to make you knee jerk going, 
Oh, that's right. rude. What's going to surprise you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I wish I videotaped this the other day because I, you know, I always I always have the camera on at the right time. But basically, a, a really nice woman from I did a Fourth of July party one to five over there. She comes up to me. She has a walker. An older lady, you know. She has a walker. And she goes, "Did you have dessert?" I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I, I had I had uh, brownies or whatever." She's like. And she opens up, you know the walker, you have the seat? She opens up the seat and pulls out a bowl of fresh fruit and hands it to me. I just thought that was the coolest looking thing. You know, she likes, because she loves me, like the last 10 years, whatever, I know her. But I, that, that could be in a sitcom. I mean, that was yeah. just such a funny visual that she had fruit inside her seat and she handed it to me. And I said, thank you. And I was like, really, as she's walking away, I'm making sure I'm eating it. And she walked all the way up to hand it to me, you know? Thank you so much. I wish I had that on video. You know entertainment inside and out. Pretty, well, I, yeah, pretty fair to say. I've seen a lot of it. I'll put it that way. Now, just me, just me as a comic. I'm not saying for myself, but as a comedian going on stage, coming off the stage, I'd love to know. Like, I, I don't even know if you would charge somebody. Like, what, what, what do you think? First of all, second of all, like, obviously, there's funny jokes. Like, you could probably add ten things to one of my jokes because you know you've been around this so much and you you have the mind for it. That. Um, would you, did you have anything to do with comedy? Like, I know you do playwrights and all that stuff, but I could see I, you. I, I have done uh, workshops for Valley Stream uh, right. when I was over there for a few years. Uh, they brought me in to morph their courthouse into a performing arts center, which then I hurt my leg, so I resigned while I healed, and then I didn't wind up going back. I wound up going different directions. Okay. But while I was there, they had me teach some adult education stuff like... Uh, acting and also a comedy course over there. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've worked with people where you break down material and disassemble it. I mean, when I did my first play, uh, or the first play that went up in 1995, it was a piece called X's Nose. Okay. And it came about simply because my wife, who went out to a bunch of shows with me, said, you're funnier than that, you should write a play. And I said, you know, I don't know. And she goes, yeah, you should just do it as an exercise, but write a play. And... I wrote two of them. I brought one to the uh, Arena Players in Farmingdale where the owner, who I knew well, said, I think 75% of this needs to be overhauled. And okay. I said, I don't think 75%, but you know, I'll take your feedback. I brought the other one over to the stage who a day later called back uh, from Merrick and said, let's do this in August, and they put a date on it. And what was funny about it is right after I agreed to do it, they called me up about a week later and said, could you direct? And I went, I did some directing in college. I could if you need me to. Well, it would progress things along faster. Right. I went, okay. About a week and a half after that, I get a phone call. And they go, we've had a lot of trouble getting actors for our performances lately, so we're kind of like stretched out. Could you put together a cast, do you think? I was like, well, I know people from the community in terms of actors and friends I've worked with that are funny. Yeah, I could probably do that. That would be great. That will. Just so you're basically doing everything. So basically, I put <laughs> do it you all have a together. Landscaper. <laughs> yeah, I put it all together for him. So uh, a couple of days out, they said to me, uh, "Look, just want to tell you, every single playwright goes through this. The phone isn't ringing. We're not selling any tickets." I think we have eight tickets for Saturday. I don't know if we have any tickets for the other shows, but relax, you'll probably be okay on the walk-up. Right. I went, oh, we're sold out the other three shows. I said, we already checked with your box office. They told us we could print our own tickets and sell them. I call them every two days to give them an update. We sold out the first two and wow. the last one immediately. Wow. All we have is that Saturday, and you should have only about a dozen tickets left at this point. And he didn't know that. He had no idea. Wow. No, so we went in there, and it was sold out, and 
things, uh, the first night, everything went perfectly. It just rocked. I was very fortunate. The, the people in the cast were great. And the owner came up to me and went, oh, my God. I can't believe how funny that was. That was so brilliantly written. And all of a sudden, this little light bulb goes off in my head, yeah. and it's like, he didn't even read it. Oh. And I talked to a couple of other friends, and they said, you know, if he didn't direct it or cast it, and his some of his regular people came in to investigate, it's like, we got nothing to do with that. You know, that dumpster fire is all theirs. <laughs> right. He wanted no part of it. Yeah, he wanted no part of it. So he sidestepped, and I went, wow. What a really interesting learning curve this is that he booked me and then somebody else came up to me a couple days later and said, you're going to sell out a room. You're the editor of Good Times Magazine. Right. You have friends who will always appreciate what you did for them. Right. You have jealous people who want to see you fall on your face right. and fall apart. Yep. So you're going, to, you're going to fill 180 seats just on people like going to a sideshow to see the dog boy. Right. They were, Whether right. you're good or not. They want to come in and see you. And... I, it really sunk in, and by the time we got to the end of the run, I realized, you know what, this is working, and I took it apart like you do a football coach. You know, it's that's funnier on paper than it was. That actor could have been a little bit stronger on the timing on hitting that stuff. It would have worked better. That was too slow on the uptake, and you work on it for the next one. And what had been a plan to say, hey, let's see if I can do a play or not, 92 plays staged later and 100 right. of them written later. I want to thank our guest, John Blend, for joining us tonight on Good Times, Bad Times. We will see you next Monday at 7 o'clock right here on 1240 AM WGBB. Have a great week, everybody.